we have began a series looking at the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church, to the various churches spread out throughout the Roman Empire, but in particular, we have been digging in and exploring what those letters have for us to learn today. So we're going to start with our memory verse, and then we'll dig in a little bit. So our memory verse of the month is 1 Thessalonians 1-2. Recite this with me. 1 Thessalonians 1-2. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. 1 Thessalonians 1-2. I love the book of 1 Thessalonians. The more I study it, the more I'm enjoying it as Paul really is thankful in the book of 1 Thessalonians. He's thankful for a church that is following the gospel, a church that loves Christ and lives in that way. The Boy Scouts have a motto, be prepared. Very simple, very straightforward, be prepared. Now, I never did scouts, but there have been times when I have need to be prepared. I was thinking about, uh, about last year, Emily and I went on a big, what I would call Alaska adventure. We were going to do a bunch of hiking, and we had to be prepared. So we ordered equipment because we needed equipment to be prepared. We exercised a bunch in preparation to get our bodies prepared. But the other thing that we did is we actually looked at pictures and looked at the sorts of things we were going to see because we needed to be mentally prepared as well. You see, we were going to be hiking day in and day out for many days in a row, and I don't know if you've ever walked all day and then gotten up the next morning. It's not, you don't say, well, I just can't wait to walk again all day. (laughs) You have to be mentally prepared and have something to look forward to. There has to be a reason behind it. So I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the gospel. And here's my guess for many of us myself included, when you hear that you're supposed to share the gospel, to go out and tell other people about Jesus, we often think, well, that's not for me. It's for the person next to me, right? I mean, really? We often think that's not for me. That's for somebody else. No, we are, each of us, to be prepared to share the gospel. We need to prepare ourselves to share the gospel, Now, there's all sorts of programs we could talk about on sharing the gospel. I'm going to call those tools, equipment. There's lots of equipment out there to share the gospel. You could look at Romans Road. You could look at the exchange. You could look at all these other name tools that exist to help you share the gospel. You could get in physical shape to share the gospel. Now, I don't mean you go, you know, lift weights. That's not what I'm talking about. You study it, right? You study your Bible. And I hope that you all are in physical shape. What we're going to talk about today is getting your mentality, your mental shape prepared to share the gospel. So today, what I'm looking to do is I'm looking for us to go deeper, to look at how we prepare our hearts, how we prepare our hands to share the gospel, because ultimately sharing the gospel is worth it. Sharing the gospel, it's worth the effort. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to look at chapter 2. And as we prepare to dig into chapter 2, I want to remind you about 1 Thessalonians. Remember, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians probably from the city of Corinth. 
after having endured a great deal of persecution, he arrived at Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, there were significant victories followed by significant persecution. Ultimately, Paul was asked to leave the city because the message that he shared was revolutionary. In chapter 1, Paul reminded his readers that faith is worth getting excited about. Faith is significant. It's worth your excitement. He ended chapter 1 by telling the Thessalonians that people everywhere are talking about your faith. Now he reminds them of the details of that faith. So let's begin in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. What I want you to see in these first seven verses is that we need to prepare our hearts to share the gospel. Prepare your heart to share the gospel. You see, sharing the gospel is not without risk. Let's be real about that. When I tell you you need to go share the gospel, I'm telling you to take a risk. Sharing the gospel is not without risk. People will be offended by the gospel. That's how you know if you are actually sharing the gospel. People will be offended by the gospel. It's offensive. It tells people, the gospel says, you are a sinner who deserves to go to hell. That's pretty offensive. The gospel then says, you can't do anything to fix your sin problem. That's pretty offensive. Then the gospel says, but Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin problem. But you see, it's pretty offensive until we get to step three. It's pretty harsh. The gospel, sharing it, is not without risk. If you want to turn over in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, just for some context here. If you're looking at your headings, you probably have a heading that says Acts chapter 17 is in Thessalonica. Well, I want you to jump over to Acts 16 so you can see what happened to Paul right before he went to Thessalonica. You see, Paul and Silas were in the city of Philippi. The way they got to the city of Philippi is that Paul had a vision, a vision of a man of Macedonia saying, come over here, come over here. And so Paul and Silas left for Philippi. And when they got to Philippi in Acts 16, I'm not going to read this to you. I'm just going to sort of scan through the, the details here. When they got to Philippi, a number of really cool things happened. The first thing that happened was a lady named Lydia. Lydia worked in dyeing cloths. It says that she was a, a purple dyer. A ma- lady named Lydia accepted Jesus as her savior. 
the next thing that happens is the Apostle Paul casts a demon out of a slave. The result of this great victory, Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. But God instigated a great prison break. And nobody fled. Paul and Silas remain. They lead the Philippian jailer to Christ and they are thrown out of the city. Think about that. You arrive in Philippi. You have these great victories. Things are happening. God is at work. And then you're thrown in jail. But then another great thing happens. The jail doors are literally thrown open by God himself. You remain faithful You lead the jailer to Christ, and you're thrown out of the city. Okay? I don't know how much grit you have. I probably would have said, I think I'm going to take it easy in this next city. Try to fly under the radar. Right? But that's not what Paul does. Paul says, even though despite the persecution, when he got to Thessalonica, he preached the gospel. Through God's strength, Paul and Silas were courageous to preach the gospel. It's interesting here in verse 2, back in 1 Thessalonians, sorry, I should tell you where we're going. Back in 1 Thessalonians, verse 2, Paul says that he preached God's gospel of God. That's my translation. The gospel of God. His gospel. God's gospel about God. So what in the world does that mean? God's good news about himself. Paul did not preach about the apostle Paul. Paul did not preach about Silas. Paul did not preach about the other apostles. Paul preached the good news that God provided him of God's salvation. And the results were amazing. People came to Christ. I know a a missionary who serves in a a highly restrictive country. And he served there for a number of years. And he tells the story that, you know, this is the sort of country where you get arrested for preaching the gospel. And you hope that your life doesn't, isn't taken for preaching the gospel. That's the sort of country. He tells the story that the first year that he arrived in the country, he decided he was going to fly under the radar because he didn't want to get arrested. He didn't want to get kicked out of the country or worse. So he flew under the radar After a year, God convicted him and said, why are you here? What's your purpose? What's your purpose? So then he decided, I guess I need to be bold. And the moment that he became bold, God began leading individual after individual after individual to Christ. And time and time again, when he's had run-ins with this government, the government has given him a pass and hasn't worried about him. He does, can't explain it. When he was scared, he was scared. When he was bold, he saw people come to Christ. That is the sort of boldness we need to have. Sharing the gospel is not without risk, but it's worth it. You see, in verses 3 through 5, Paul reminds his people, the people of Thessalonica, that sharing the gospel must come from proper motives. Paul tells them, I didn't come to you to trick you. 
My goal wasn't to trick you. My goal is not to swindle you. No, the gospel is not about the individual who shares the gospel does so with completely pure motives. Thessalonica was a city where philosophers, traveling philosophers would often visit it. And a traveling philosopher had motives that were less than ideal. Uh, People in the Roman times would come up with some interesting thing to talk about. You know, you've heard people that come up with all these interesting philosophies before. So they would come up with their interesting philosophy and come into the city and tell people that they would tell them about this newfangled trick or whatever you want to call it in exchange for money or sex. That's, that's the city of Thessalonica. The Apostle Paul says, we didn't do that. We weren't here to earn money, to tell you some clever idea that you might pay us We shared the gospel with you to please God. Not for flattery, not for greed. Paul calls God as his witness. As God is my witness, the purpose of preaching the gospel is for God's glory. Ultimately, that's because sharing the gospel has to come from a posture of humility. Greco-Roman culture was a culture of honor and shame. You, you either had honor or you had shame. Everything you did either brings honor or it brings shame. That's the dichotomy that they, they lived in. Paul says, I'm not doing this for prestige. I'm not sharing the gospel to make myself look good. It's all about God. Paul even goes on. He says, I could have argued that I was an apostle. I didn't. In fact, he ends it with, we were like young children among you. I really enjoy talking with children. It's fun. There's a couple of things that when you talk with children happen. One, um, they tell you how it really is. Right? What's that red mark on your face? Adults don't say that. We know better. No, when you talk with the children, they tell you how it really is. The other thing is they don't use like these big, great schemes to manipulate you, right? It's plain, it's simple, it's right there. That's what the apostle Paul says. I didn't use big schemes. I told you how it was. I preached the gospel to you. Humility is the way to preach the gospel. So let me give you an action step coming out of these first seven verses. Pick an area in which you can pray for growth. Do you need courage to share the gospel? Is that where you are lacking? Do you recognize the risk and back away? Because the risk of sharing the gospel is too great. Pray for courage. Maybe it is Christ-like motivation. Maybe as you look at sharing the gospel, you think about all the things you could lose, and you need that Christ-like motivation that says, Put yourself aside and put Christ in his gospel first. Or maybe it's humility. Maybe you're caught up in the academic head knowledge of the gospel and you need to instead pray that you would be able to share the gospel as a young child, plain and simple. You're a sinner. You're separated from God. You can't do anything about it. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Accept him 
so that you can go to heaven. It's simple. Maybe that's how you need to pray. How do you personally need to pray? It's a question for you. As you think about that, I want to go on to verses 7 through 12, or I guess I should call this 7b through 12. So let's pick up, starting in the second half of chapter 7. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we love you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. As we prepare to share the gospel, we need to prepare our hands to share the gospel. I'll explain my metaphor here as we go. Our hands are the things we do. So the first thing that we need to really focus on as we prepare our hands to share the gospel is we need to recognize that sharing the gospel is an expression of love for others. Sharing the gospel is an expression of love. We need to work on our love for others so that we can effectively share the gospel. The Apostle Paul is, is using a family metaphor here, and his, the way he's using this metaphor is interesting. At first, he compared himself to a child, As a young child, he spoke to share the gospel. Now he moves to the next stage of his metaphor, and he says a nursing mother he compares himself to, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. Now, I want to give you just a little more context here. Something that we don't really do anymore in our more modern culture. There was the notion in the Roman world of what's called a wet nurse. Okay? This was a woman who had had a baby and was capable of nursing who would nurse other women's children because the other women were busy with other aspects of life. Okay, And it was called a wet nurse. It was somebody who was paid to nurse other women's children. Paul says, just as a nursing mother, potentially here using the idea of a wet nurse, the term overlaps a little bit, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, her own children, Okay, if your job is to nurse a bunch of children, I suspect there's something special about nursing your own children. There's a special care that takes place there. Just as a nursing mother nurses her own children, so we cared for you. There's a genuineness to the love there. There's something special about Paul's love for those with whom he is sharing the gospel. Verses 9 and 10 tell us that sharing the gospel requires sacrifice. He gives evidence of his love. He puts his money where his mouth is. He tells them that he labored night and day. Now, this doesn't mean that he never slept. It doesn't mean that he worked 24-7. Rather, it's an expression that means he did whatever it took. He worked wherever he needed to work. The Apostle Paul, what we learn in the book of Acts is that most likely, he's called a tent maker, most likely he worked with leather. He was a leather worker. That's hard work with your hands, Um, building tents, building other items made of leather. 
The Apostle Paul worked. In Thessalonica, what we see is that he worked for his living. He was willing to sacrifice himself. Yes, the gospel was his job, but that's not where he earned his paycheck in Thessalonica. He was bivocational because he was willing to make sacrifice to share the gospel. But more than just willing to work in order to love, he was willing to exercise some important disciplines. He was willing to sacrifice in the way he lived. What we read there is that he practiced a life that could be marked as holy. That's what our NIV there says uh, in verse 10. Holy. He lived a life that was holy. Now, this is not the usual word for holy. So if you look in your Bible for the word holy, uh, especially in your Greek, uh, most of the time the word holy is hagias. That's not the word that's used here. Rather, it's the word uh, osios, which means pious or devout. It's not just that Paul lived a life that was set aside. Paul lived a life that showed devotion to God. I imagine that if you saw Paul living life, you would see him focused on things like the Bible. I remember uh, growing up, my dad showed devotion to God. What was evidence of this? Six o'clock rolled around. We finished dinner. Everyone else is getting ready to go watch a TV show. And my dad's sitting on the couch reading his Bible. He had already worked eight to five, ate dinner and went back to his Bible because he was devoted to God. That's how the apostle Paul lived, devoted to God, righteous. In other words, measuring up to God's standards, looking for ways to clean up his life, to measure up to God's standards, blameless. You could look at Paul's life and you couldn't point out and say, you know, you do pretty good, but you know, when you get home, you do this and that. No, he was blameless. People couldn't point the finger at Paul. Why though? Because he loved and he wanted to show the Thessalonians the gospel and the change that the gospel makes. Ultimately, sharing the gospel, it's an act of encouragement. Sharing the gospel is itself an act of encouragement. Remember Paul's metaphor? He started as a young child, moved on to a nursing mother, And now he's going to say that as a father, a compassionate father, the compassionate father is a good father. Not everybody has had good fathers, but the compassionate father is a good father who encourages, who comforts, who urges. The apostle Paul in sharing the gospel showed what a compassionate father would be to these Thessalonians. He encouraged them, he comforted them, and he urged them on. We need to recognize the gospel is more than just fire insurance. It is really good fire insurance. Okay? It it is. But it's so much more than just fire insurance. The gospel is more than just keeping us out of hell. The gospel is about living the way God intends us to live, in Christ-likeness accepting Jesus as our model, as our Savior. The gospel encourages us, it comforts us, and it exhorts us to live for God. 
So, action step. Pick another area in which you can pray for growth. So you picked one at the first action step. You're going to pick another one right now. Do you need to grow in your love for others? The gospel is an act of love. Do you need to grow in your love for others so that sharing the gospel is something that comes naturally to you? Because you look at someone and you love them and you can't imagine them facing hell, facing this life without Christ, and you share the gospel. Maybe you need to grow in your self-sacrifice. You're willing to give up things in life, things that maybe you're free to do, but could cause someone else to stumble. Maybe you need to grow in being more encouraging to others. You all have met people who are encouragers, right? No matter what you're going through, you see them and they say something to you and suddenly everything is better, okay? You've also met people who are discouragers. No matter how good things are, you see them and you turn around because you know that you need to grow to be an encourager. The gospel is our hope. We should use it to encourage others. Let's read on verses 13 through 16. Because Paul writes, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone. In their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, in this way they also heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. So let me give you my point here. We need to be thankful for the blessing of being able to share the gospel. That's the final aspect of our heart. When Emily and I were preparing for our Alaska adventure, we looked at pictures of the places we want to go because we knew that being thankful for being able to go to those places and see those things was going to be a motivation for us to continue forward. We need to be thankful for the privilege it is, the blessing it is of sharing the gospel. Why? Let me give you some reasons. First of all, when the gospel is accepted, the very word of God is accepted. When the gospel is accepted, the very word of God is accepted, and that's worth celebrating. Paul gives thanks for those who accept the gospel. We should celebrate. It should be one of the greatest events that we can imagine when someone accepts Jesus as their personal savior. Why? Because it's not my message. It's not your message. It's the very word of God that they've accepted. When you share your faith with someone, you are not sharing your opinion. You are not sharing your viewpoint. You are sharing the very word of God with somebody. Think about that for a second. It's not your opinion. You share your opinion all the time, right? Or your viewpoint all the time. When you share the gospel, it is the very word of God. It's the meaning of life. 
Sorry, it's not 42. When you share the gospel, you're sharing the very word of God. In verse 14, what I see is that when the gospel is accepted, new disciples are made. And this is worth celebrating. Discipleship involves fundamentally imitation. Everybody imitates somebody. I love the old 101 Dalmatians cartoon when they're walking the dogs and the dogs look like the people or the people look like the dogs. Okay? Because you and I can't help but imitate people we're around. It is fundamental to who we are. We will imitate people. Discipleship oftentimes involves imitations. Uh, The Apostle Paul says that the Thessalonians imitated the churches in Judea. When the gospel is accepted, disciples are made, people learn how to imitate Christ. If you don't show people the gospel, they will imitate something else. What do you want them to imitate? The football star or Christ? The celebrity or Christ? Everyone's going to imitate. Who do you want people to imitate? Finally, when the gospel is accepted, suffering can be counted as joy. And that's worth celebrating. Verses 15 through 16 talk about great suffering. And I want you to understand that when the gospel is accepted, suffering can be counted as joy. Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. That's what the gospel allows us to do. To say, I want to know Christ, to participate in his sufferings, knowing that Christ lived life the way it was meant to be. Sharing the gospel is ultimately an invitation to an eternity joined with the God of the universe. I want to look as we sort of wrap up at Romans 8. Because verses 31 through 39 paint a beautiful picture of what salvation looks like. And if we can picture what salvation looks like, maybe we'll be motivated to share the gospel. Romans 8, verse 31 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God 
that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we share the gospel, we share the hope of eternity. There is no condemnation for those who have accepted Jesus as their Savior. All there is is eternity unseparated from God. That's the message of the gospel. That's why we share the gospel. So, let me give you an action step. I want you to pick someone in your life who's unsaved. And I want you to take a moment right now and pray for the opportunity to share the gospel with them in the next couple of weeks. Let's do this. Father, you have entrusted us with the gospel, with the ability to share the gospel, to share with others their sinfulness, their brokenness, their inability to ever save themselves, but the hope of eternity. I pray that each of us would have the courage to share the gospel. We know there's risks. We may be rejected. I pray that you would give us the love to share the gospel. Father, help us to look on others and see them through your eyes as people broken by sin in need of a Savior. Father, I pray that you would work in each of our hearts, that we would embrace the privilege, the blessing it is to be able to share the gospel, that we would look at eternity, a life, an eternity unseparated from you, and that we would desire that for our friends, for the people of the world. Father, work in our hearts that we might share the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.